Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. So if you want to open your Bible to Acts 2, we're in week four of our series on Acts, God's kingdom mission for the church. We're looking again at the day of Pentecost, verses 1 through 13. And before we read it, just a little bit of broader context here. Today we're looking at the event of Pentecost, and then next week we're going to look at the explanation of Pentecost and of the coming of Jesus, and then we'll look at the effects, the fruit of Pentecost in verses 42 through 47 the following week. So let's read Acts 2, 1, 2, 13, and why don't we stand? We do that periodically, and this is an amazing passage here about the international family of God, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that ends up impacting all the nations of the world. So Acts 2, 1 to 13, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native tongue of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. I'm going to say, This is the word of God, and you can say thanks be to God if you want to. So this is the word of God. Yeah. All right, you can take a seat here as we dig in, and I'm encouraging everyone. People have been coming up to me and showing me their study Bibles, some of them new, some of them worn and marked. I love it. We want to have our Bibles with us, and we want to be in them every day, and we want to wear them out, don't we? So today we're looking at the coming, the descent of the Holy Spirit, and we'll see two parts to this passage. Verses 1 through 4 is precisely about that, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and then verses 5 through 13 are about the response 
of the nations. And I just want to say up front, this is a pattern. This is the way it works. The Spirit of God comes on the church, comes on the local church, and people respond in different ways. We're going to see that as Peter preaches the message of the gospel, people are cut to the heart and they become followers of Jesus. They're baptized into the church. But with the descent of the Spirit, people are saying, these folks are drunk. And I've really, I've tried to approach this rather familiar passage this week and let it make me feel uncomfortable. And so I want to say up front that if as a church we don't have people saying, what does this mean? If people aren't stirred a little bit, then we're probably in our comfort zone too much. You with me on that? We are, as we'll see in this passage, from the beginning, we are a peculiar people. And so the American church has been determined to not be peculiar. We've done everything we can to assimilate and be accessible and to be like everyone else. And I just want to say up front, Acts 2, that's not the aim of the church. We are people of the Holy Spirit. And we are unusual. We do unusual things. Now, we, we're not weird. We're not intentionally weird, but we are a peculiar people. Would you agree? And so as it is with the cross, the cross is strange. The cross is offensive to the Western rational mind. It's, subver- it's God's wisdom. So it is with the Spirit. It's God's wisdom. The Spirit of God coming on a people, filling them, transforming their lives, changing them completely. They speak in other tongues. These are peculiar things, but we lean into that. You with me on that? We are a people of the cross, and we are people of Pentecost. So, Lord, we just ask for fresh eyes. We ask for that spirit of wisdom and revelation as we look at this beautiful passage. Would you teach us? Would you speak to us? Would you open the scriptures to us in the name of Jesus? Amen. So if you look here at verse 1, they're united at Pentecost. Verse 1 says that they're gathered together. They're all in one place. Could have been the, the house where the 120 were gathered in the previous chapter. And it was the day of Pentecost. This is the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. Pentecost means the 50th, so it's 50 days after Passover, and it meant many things to the Jews, and what we'll see, all of those nations that were listed, that's focusing on Jews that were scattered all over the nations, and so they're coming back to Jerusalem for this important day of Pentecost, for this festival, and for the Jews, it was agricultural. Historically, they would come together and worship, and they would give thanks to God for the wheat harvest and say, Lord, everything we have, including our food, comes from your goodness, from your grace. So they were in Jerusalem celebrating that. It's also a historical celebration as well. When the law was given to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, so they're celebrating these two things. And what we're going to see is that it's filled with all kinds of meaning. They're about to experience another harvest, aren't they? A spiritual harvest. They're going to have 3,000 people come into the kingdom in a moment. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Those are the things we long for. They're also celebrating not the giving of the law at Sinai, but 
the giving of the Spirit at Jerusalem. And so we see from the beginning that the church is a people of the book, of the law, of the Torah, and a people of the Spirit. So that's our heritage, the Word and the Spirit. So they're all together in one place. They're gathered together. They're waiting, as we saw in Acts chapter 1. Jesus told them very clearly, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. And so that's precisely what they're doing. So we learn from this passage that there is something in spiritual life about waiting, waiting on God. Do you enjoy waiting? I certainly don't. I can be rather embarrassing in the car if I have to wait behind someone. I drive Amanda crazy. She's much more patient and waiting, and I'm behind them in Chicago driver mode. Sometimes I am not very good at waiting, but that is a part of spiritual life. As God promises something, God speaks, and then we have to wait, and the Lord brings it eventually. Well, these folks have been waiting in prayer, and they experience really what some see, John Stott, the Anglican commentator, said this is the first revival recorded for the church. This is the first visitation in which the entire community is filled with the Holy Spirit. Friends, this is our heritage. This is the birth of the church. This is what God promises for his church for all time, to be people of the Spirit. Look at verse 2. The text goes on to to mention a life-giving wind. I've been reading this and praying it all week. Lord, would you allow us to experience and suddenly from heaven? They'd been waiting. Jesus told them, wait, gather together. They're in prayer, these women and men. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a wind. Friends, we need some and suddenly around here. Amen? Again, this is the word here. And we want to be patient and we want to wait. But I'm saying, Lord, we need some of those breakthroughs. This was a moment when it was undeniable. God stepped down. The spirit descended. They experienced and suddenly after their waiting. This word suddenly is only used one other time in Acts, in chapter 16, 26, when Paul and Silas are in prison. Remember, they're singing and praising, and suddenly an earthquake hit. And so, in a sense, this was like an earthquake that hit in the church. It's from heaven, and lots of prayers are being answered, but I just want us to to muse for a minute here, to reflect on some of the promises in Scripture, some of those prophetic anticipations that all came to fruition in that and suddenly. In Numbers eleven twenty nine, Moses prays this, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would pour his spirit on all of them. That was Moses. Numbers eleven twenty nine In Isaiah 32, the prophet Isaiah says this at verse 15. A spirit from on high will be poured out on us, and the wilderness will become a fruitful field. These are prophetic promises that are all coming into focus and being fulfilled. Isaiah says in 
chapter 44, verse 3, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. So friends, this was a moment of fulfillment. The prophets had anticipated it, and here we are 800 years later after those prophets, and suddenly from heaven, the Lord is pouring out the Spirit, not just on a few people, not just on a leader, a king, a prophet, but all of God's people. Friends, this is a turning point in salvation history. The Spirit of God poured on all people. We're going to see more about that in some of the other verses. It's rather strange, isn't it? It's a violent wind, a rush, a sound that's coming into the room where the church was gathered. And the word that's used here is likened to wind. And again, the early Christians would have been familiar with passages like Ezekiel 37. Do you remember where the prophet Ezekiel is told to prophesy to the breath to the wind, to the spirit. That was happening in this moment, the spirit of God coming in to the church. Think of Jesus, what he says in John 3 when he's having that conversation with Nicodemus. Do you remember he's talking to him about those who enter the kingdom of God? It only happens how? By those who are born of the Holy Spirit. They're born again. And then Jesus goes on to explain that the Spirit of God is like a wind that blows where he wants to blow, and it brings transformation. Friends, they're experiencing that in this moment. Look at what the text goes on to say. It fills the entire house where they were sitting. Do you see that at the end of verse 2? This may be the the upper room where they're sitting, but it didn't just fill the upper room, it filled the whole house. And so again, the New Testament oftentimes echoes some of the themes, and so the original hearers of this, those who experienced it, would have thought of Isaiah's vision. The smoke filling the whole temple, the smoke representing God's glory. The cloud of glory that filled God's entire temple in 1 Kings 8. Here, God's presence is filling the entire house. And we happen to be that house. 1 Peter 2, 4 says that. You and I are the house of God. And when we gather, whether we know it or not, whether we feel like it or not, the Spirit of God is there to fill us. Is that right, Liam? The Spirit of God. And so oftentimes we're reminding the Lord of these passages. Lord, we need a fresh infilling. We need to experience that ongoing Pentecost that is the heritage of the New Testament. People of God. You know me, sometimes I like to go back to those early church fathers. Some of them rather unknown. And this is one from Syria. His name is Ephraim the Syrian. And he says that in this moment... The house was filled with God's fragrant presence. So friends, the Lord is beautiful. His spirit is powerful. And where he is, there's beauty and fragrance. It's a biblical concept where Christ is. There's an aroma where the spirit of the Lord is. Look at verse 3. God's fiery presence 
The Old Testament scriptures speak, they describe the fire of God's presence among God's people. Again, I reference some of these things so you can jot it down and maybe go back and look at it. But friends, this is just filled with, it's shot through with images from the Old Testament. So when the fire of God descends on them, they would have thought of Exodus 3, that burning bush moment when the fire of the Lord appears and yet the fire is now on them. And so in a sense, the New Testament church becomes the burning bush that the Lord is setting aflame. They would have thought of the pillar of fire in Exodus 12 that guided Israel by night through the desert. They would have thought of the consuming fire that descended on Mount Sinai in Exodus 24 and the fire that hovered over the tabernacle in Exodus 40. Friends, this is the fire of God's presence coming to rest on his people. John the Baptist spoke about the coming of the Holy Spirit with fire. Do you remember that? In Matthew 3.11, he prophesied that the disciples would experience a baptism of the Holy Spirit and with fire. Tongues of fire resting on them. The church becomes the place of God's fiery presence. This is one of those moments where I want us to think about, friends, are we living into that? Is the fire of God's spirit at work among us? What do you think? We say probably sometimes. I'm asleep this morning. I could use a little more coffee. I'm ready for lunch or a nap. But friends, we want to ask ourselves, based on a passage like this, are we posturing posturing ourselves to be a place of God's fiery presence? Lord, save us from doing church. Anybody else? I am not interested in coming and kind of going through the motions or having a slick church service. Lord, save us from that. Amen? Some of you, are you've experienced that. And Lord, let us be a place where the fire of your presence rests on all of us. And may we offer ourselves, like Paul says in Romans 12, we may offer ourselves, our bodies, our bank accounts, our children, our relationships to be consumed by the fire of God's presence. Friends, that's what we're after, isn't it? That's what we expect. So every facet of what we do when we come together, when we worship, this is the God that we're interacting with, a consuming fire. Lord, you can have all of me. I'm not holding anything back. When we gather in our homes, when we do life, we're people of the fire of God's presence. Amen? Look at verse 4 here. This is where it gets rather controversial for some. The Holy Spirit infilling and tongues. And again, we see this repeated pattern. They were all filled. The entire house was filled. It's the Lord's way of saying the whole thing. All the people were affected by this. Now, I do want to clarify here. This is something I tried to stay out of multiple rabbit holes this week as I was reading this. And I went down some. I mean, I was this week thinking, now what is, 
what's the difference here between the baptism with the Holy Spirit and the infilling of the Holy Spirit? And we'll get into some of that. But I just want to make it clear that baptism with the Holy Spirit happens with every believer when they are joined to the body of Christ. Paul makes that clear in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. When you become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and you give yourself to him and you confess him as Lord, you are baptized, you are immersed in Christ and in the Holy Spirit, right? There is a baptism. But the book of Acts, as we're going to see very clearly, makes it obvious that the infilling of the Holy Spirit happens multiple times throughout the Christian journey. Someone said, it's because we leak. And that is true. We are clay pots with cracks in them. And so it seems that the Lord wants to fill us over and over again with his presence, with his love, with his power for mission so that we can do what these early Christians did. We can go with great courage and share Jesus with anyone and everyone no matter what it costs. So friends, we want the Spirit of God on us and operating and filling us over and over again. We're going to see that in chapter 4 and chapter 6 and chapter 7, repeated infillings of the Holy Spirit. And we want that. And we want to see the Lord perform miracles and do signs and wonders and some of those things that the, the Vineyard Movement helps to emphasize and refocus attention on. But friends, along with that, I want us to make sure that we're not just empowered for mission, but that we're filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can have the character of Jesus in our lives as well. The power of the Spirit, the fire of the Spirit, and the fruits of the Spirit. And what's interesting, this is not my idea, I'm not that clever, I'm very derivative, gladly, I read the Bible and then talk about it. These are all biblical principles in Ephesians 5, 18 and following. The Apostle Paul is speaking about not getting drunk with wine, but being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what does he go on and explain in the verses right after that? You submit to one another in the fear of Christ. And then he goes to explain what Christian homes look like. Love, sacrificial love, and submission, and these things. And so we at All Saints are committed to that. Yes, we want to be completely focused on, Lord, fill us with the Spirit. We need more. We leak. Fill us with power for mission in our schools, in our places of work. But Lord, would you work the character of Jesus into us as well? Amen? When the Spirit of God came on them, we see in verse 4, not just tongues of fire, individual flames, but they begin to speak in tongues. And this Greek word here, some of you are familiar with it, it's glossa, but glossa lalia, let's say that together, glossa lalia. Glossa lalia means literally, glossa means tongue or language, and lalia means speech. So it's 
tongue speech or tongue speaking that's happening here. And this week, I don't know if this question is raised in your mind, but what do we do with a passage like this in Acts 2 versus what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14? And for those of you that are interested, I'm actually providing a handout. And so in the Resource Center, I am laying out Acts chapter 2, tongues there, and tongues according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. We've got plenty of copies out there on the table. So if you want to be studious and go through and look at those things, it is fascinating. And I read people that were very convincing. They were saying, it's different. These are different gifts. And look at it. And I just want to simply say that I think it is the same gift that's operating. It's two different historical contexts, two different modes in which it's operating. That seems to make the most sense. I just want to, if I can take a moment here and just point out a few of the parallels between what Luke is describing here and what Paul is describing. They're vastly different. Luke is giving a historical account, right? He's just describing what's happening. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians is giving practical pastoral instruction on the way the gift of tongues should be used. But in both, tongues are inspired by the Holy Spirit. We see that at verse 4, right? Acts 2.4. Further, the speakers apparently don't really know the languages that they're speaking. Verse 4 also says that. They are not intelligible to those who do not recognize the languages. Verse 13 is explaining that. Verse 11 shows that this gift of tongues functions as inspired praise. So there's something that Luke is describing here and something that Paul describes that tongues is something that's actually directed at God in prayer and praise. And Paul uses different language for it, but the same is true when the church is gathered there. They're not sitting there thinking, wow, the Holy Spirit has come, and I think that I'm getting ready to have a download of a language that I don't know. No, they are gathered together worshiping, praising, and praying, and God supernaturally does something in that moment, and they begin to speak languages that these folks from all over the world at that time were hearing in their own dialect, their own language about God's mighty deeds. So, you can check out that handout. There's much more to say about that, but the bottom line for me is we want this gift operating in the church. And Paul is very clear. He says, do not forbid the speaking of tongues. How many churches forbid the speaking of tongues? Some of you may have come from churches that forbid the speaking of tongues. Is that biblical? According to what the Apostle Paul is teaching? That's not. I grew up in a context where we were highly suspicious and for the most part said no tongue speaking. It's been abused. There's craziness around it and we have to grow up. We have to be mature and biblical people with the gift of tongues. And the way to do that is to say, Lord, we want it. Help us pastor it. Help us be mature and responsible. And Lord, help activate that gift in 2022. Would you agree? You ready to be a little bit uncomfortable maybe? 
If you're in a group and someone speaks in a tongue and you sit there and wait for someone to interpret, friends, we want to be ruthlessly biblical people. And so we've got to be all in on this. This is the model of the New Testament church. It's the only inspired model that we have in all of church history. They spoke in tongues. And there are all kinds of nuances that we could go into. You can read this passage again and then read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. It's clear there. All kinds of language that's used and there are similarities and differences. But the point is the Spirit of God filled them. They were erupting with praise and with prayer. And it affected people around them. This week, another rabbit hole that I tried to stay out of, but I went down the rabbit hole, is, Lord, does this happen in the modern era? Do people actually speak in tongues and other people hear it in their own language? What do you think, church? Do you think that happens? I think we're more familiar, I'm more familiar with what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, where we're communing with God and speaking God and uttering the mysteries of God and at times it may be the tongues of angels all that that means that there's worship that's going on and so the church is enabled to enter into that kind of heavenly worship I'm more familiar with that but there are stories and I remember Connie has shared one with me it's usually in a missional context where someone speaks in tongues and it's actually a language and someone hears. I want to give a few examples because in going down that rabbit hole I came up with three or four of them and I thought they were absolutely fascinating and they come from a New Testament scholar named Craig Keener and his book on Acts and this dude is meticulous so he researches miracles and he researches moments like this and he's come up with a few. You want to hear them? Okay. One of them is actually from a vineyard pastor and church planner named Dr. Derek Morphew. He's from South Africa, but this was an account in Corona, California. And this comes from a 2007 interview, but it happened much earlier. But Derek Morphew's wife, Karen, was speaking in a church service, and someone there said, she's speaking perfect Portuguese. And they came and they translated it. Another pastor named David Workman from Pennsylvania, his mother, similar situation, the church is gathered, they're worshiping, they're praising. She gave, she spoke in tongues publicly and someone there said that is an old French dialect, perfectly spoken. And obviously, Pastor Workman's mother had not studied old dialects of French it was a supernatural moment, a sign that God was doing something and speaking. Craig Keener's wife, whose name is Maydeen, she's from Congola, and she said that she had a friend named Daniel who preached in Swedish, in Sweden, without knowing the language. So these are firsthand accounts, reliable stuff. It's interesting, isn't it? Does God blow the mind? I have had to take my mind, my wimpy little intellect, and kneel before the Lord. 
because his ways surpass our ways. The prophet Isaiah says that. So if some of this makes your circuits go, uh, that's the point. You can't handle all of God and all of God's wisdom. Matter of fact, we can barely handle a drop of it. So my mind kicks in, my discursive, rational mind, and I start thinking, well, how does this work? And is a miracle with the speaking or the hearing? And the Lord does whatever he wants. So if he wants to send an African man to Sweden and give the man the Swedish language so that he can preach the gospel, the Lord's going to do that. And then there's a story written later in Craig Keener's commentary that blows the mind. Friends, we kneel our whole selves. We posture ourselves before God in humility. And I don't know about you, but I'd love to see this expression of tongues as well. Maybe more rare. On rare occasion, the Lord does this. But if we're going to be people of the cross and people of the spirit, then we have to kneel before the God whose wisdom is much greater than ours. Quickly here, because I just want to, I wanted to spend most of the time on that first section. Just want to make a couple of comments, and then we're actually going to have a time where we wait on the Holy Spirit. Say, Lord, give us the gift of tongues. Stir it up. Give it to people who have asked for it. But look at verses 5 through 13. I just want to make a, a few quick comments here. We've seen the Holy Spirit is poured out, and then... The crowd responds. The nations respond. And what's particularly interesting here, these are Jews of the diaspora. They're those who have been dispersed from Israel all over the known world at the time. And it mentions proselytes. What are proselytes? Those are converts to Judaism. And so all of these people are gathering in Jerusalem and that list of nations is actually pretty interesting. I've got a slide here if you look at that. And I just want to make this comment. You can see it kind of moves in a circular motion here. You see Jerusalem there at the bottom, the lower right. And then this list starts over in the east to the, the left. And then it moves westward kind of in a circle and ends up in Rome. And that's actually going to follow the pattern of the book of Acts. Paul is going to take the gospel to Rome. But the point of this is that God's church is universal from the beginning. It wasn't just a Jewish movement. It wasn't just a few converts, a few Gentiles that became Christians, followers of Jesus. It was the whole known world that was gathered in that moment to hear about the life the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and God's mighty deeds. So friends, this is part of our heritage. We're a worldwide community. We're the most diverse thing going on the planet. God thought that up. And what's interesting here is that God is reversing what happened at Babel. You remember back in Genesis 11, the people they're united with one language. They're determined in their own strength and pride to build a tower to heaven, to make a name for themselves. And the Lord judges them and scatters them, confusing their language. Well, here, the Lord is reversing what happened there. The Lord is visiting these people from the nations and giving them the language of the gospel. 
the language of the kingdom of God and unifying them. Friends, this is amazing. We are part of this story. It's the greatest story ever told. Jesus is the most interesting person to ever live. And young people, this is the cause to give yourself to. You hear me? You younger ones, this, thank you, Wallace. Wallace feels 16 right now. Friends, this is it. Making money, storing up things, the pleasures of the world, it is all ridiculous compared to what this story is recounting here. The gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom of God coming in the person of Jesus, the fire of the Holy Spirit being poured out on a people from all over the world and being sent out so that the gospel is taken to all the nations. That is the most interesting and worthy cause on the planet, and we're part of it. We'll end with this. The people at verse 13, they see this, and what's their response? Look at verse 13. These folks are drunk. And again, I want us to get out of our comfort zone a little bit. When is the last time you were so intoxicated with the presence of God, so filled with the love of the Father, so filled with the power of God, so filled with the fruit of the Spirit in your life that someone says, you may be out of your mind. Lord, do that with us. Let us be intoxicated, not with wine, but with the Holy Spirit, with the presence of God. So why don't we stand, worship team, if you want to come up. Next Sunday, we're going to be looking at Peter's message. He's going to be giving the apostolic message, the apostolic gospel, laying out the life, the death, the resurrection, the return of Jesus. It's probably the second greatest sermon ever preached. Jesus in Luke 24 and then this in verses 14 through 36. So we're going to look at that next week. But I want us to just take a moment here. I'm going to ask for the ministry team to come up if you would. We may need a few other folks. And we make space every Sunday. We should do this in our groups as well. Always make space to say, Lord, visit us, touch us, set us free, give us breakthrough, heal us. And we want to do all that this morning. But I want us to make space for the Holy Spirit to fill us and maybe stir up the gift of tongues or maybe give the gift of tongues. And so I'm just going to ask if, that is, uh, if that's you, if you want someone to pray, if you want to come up here and kneel and even ask, Lord, I would like the gift of tongues. It is strange, but I want to be intoxicated with you. I'm part of your peculiar people. And we're going to take some time to ask the Lord to do that. I turned to Connie this morning because I know that she has a story around this. Would you be comfortable sharing your story? Lots of stories. Some people get the gift of tongues, and it happens. My cousin got it in the night. She was a cessationist teaching Bible study fellowship, had signed her 
documents that I will not speak in tongues. I do not believe that it is a gift for today. And within a week, the Holy Spirit came on her in her sleep. And she woke up in the night speaking and praising in tongues. The Lord does that sometimes. But then sometimes there are other moments where it's like Connie's story. Connie, why don't you share? I had prayed off and on for the gift of tongues over the years and nothing ever happened. And yeah, you know, I mean, literally that was kind of my response. Yeah, okay. Um, I didn't have a driving, burning desire for the gift of tongues, but I thought it would be, yeah, nice. Um, some of you may remember in 2019, in February that year, right before the pandemic, Chris Reed came here for a weekend that we called Practicing the Prophetic. And at the end of that weekend, he said, if anybody wants the gift of tongues, go ahead and come on up and just stand here in the front, and I will pray over you to receive the gift of tongues. And I thought, okay, why not? Again, that's still as, you know, no burning desire, but okay, why not? And I came up, and he kind of gave us some help to begin to open our mouths and speak. And I didn't have any kind of extraordinary baptism in the Holy Spirit or an strong experience of some kind. But I look back and say, that jump-started the gift of tongues for me. And I have been speaking in tongues ever since. And do I do it right? I have no idea. Does it feel powerful? I don't know. But I do it. <laughs> And I do it a lot, and I find myself praying for us, for the congregation, a lot in tongues. And what happens is, as I start praying in tongues, things begin to come to my heart and mind to pray for you guys that I would never think of to pray otherwise. So I don't care if I'm doing it right or not, or if my motivation was strong and huge desire, God is meeting me in it for the sake of you all. So again, we use scripture to evaluate our experience, right? Not the other way around. But I've already said, just mentioning a few places, the scriptures are clear on this. And you can go back and do a little word study on tongues. You can see places like Romans 8, where it's the spirit of God interceding and beyond words at times. So it all kind of comes together for biblical teaching on the gift of tongues.